morning. Good morning, Jess. How are you? I am great. I am so excited to be starting season three of Myth and Macabre. I'm so excited, too. I think it's been a long time coming, even though it doesn't feel super long because we've had the mini myths all summer. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm excited though. Spooky season, getting back into all the great haunted stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I've got a fun spooky one today. Yeah, what are you kicking off season three with? Season three is going to start with the black eyed children. So before you presented this idea for <laughs> this season, I had never heard of this before. No? So, no, not at all. I think I've seen maybe similar things as tropes in like horror movies, mm-hmm. but I don't actually know anything about them. So I'm super excited to hear the information you've got for us today. I mean, I don't think anyone really knows anything about them. It's mostly just speculation, but it's pretty interesting. Okay. I'm so, so excited. So we're going to get into it. So I think that sometimes in this I refer to them as black-eyed children and other times it's black-eyed kids. Some people like out in the paranormal world refer to them as BEKs. Okay. So they're all interchangeable. I might use them interchangeably. I don't actually remember so I'm sorry. So what you're really saying is if you say kids you're not also talking about black-eyed goats. We're just all still children. Yes. BEKs. Well human children. I guess, human children, question mark. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I just assumed they were human children. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Which oh I know my, is your favorite thing for me to I say. I know, there's like so little I know about this topic. But uh, let's kick us off for season three, episode one. Yes. All right, so I am just going to get started, I guess. I'm going to start it with a story, because apparently that's the thing that I like to do lately, is stories. I love it. Let's hear it. <laughs> so... Imagine that you've just returned home from a long day at work. You're alone and you're preparing yourself a light dinner. The sun is making its way down below the horizon and dusk is setting in when there's a knock at your door. I have a question before. Is there a reason why we're having a light dinner? Is this just... No. Okay. We're just being healthy. We're being healthy. Okay. I didn't know if it had anything to do with significance with No. That's just where my brain was when I was writing this. Okay. Just double checking. I was trying to like... You're setting a mood. I get you. image, okay? I got you. I just was just wanted to make sure it wasn't significant. If it was like, this does not show up when you're eating pot roast or like with a full stomach. I mean, it can show up when you're not eating, but in my head, you're eating. Okay, cool. Okay. Take it away. So there is a knock on the door. You can't imagine who it could be. You're not expecting any visitors, but you decide to see who it is anyway. That is a very unmillennial thing to do. That is not a me thing to do. I ignore the door. Yeah, no, 100% same. I'm like, I wasn't expecting anybody. I guess they'll go away. I tell my kids to, like, hide behind the couch. Just sit on the floor. They'll go away. I'm not answering it. <laughs> We're such millennials. <laughs> uh, but the, the person in my head decided they were going to answer the door. They pull back the curtain, or you pull back the curtain, and you see that there are two children standing on your doorstep. And what could two children possibly need with you? Maybe they need some help. So you decide to open the door and you find the children to be somewhere between the ages of 10 and 14. The older one asks, can we come in? But in a monotone and emotionless voice, which I can't do because I am bad at that. Can we come in? Can we come in? That was my best. Okay. You suddenly get a chill and something inside you is telling you to slam the door and walk away. But they're children and they haven't said or done anything threatening. So why are you suddenly so terrified? And then it hits you as you struggle with that little voice inside your head and you see that the children's eyes are black. They're not dark brown and they're not like 
overly dilated pupils. It's just completely black, void of color, no color. Even the whites of their eyes are just black. Everything's black. Just a big black endless hole in their eyeball socket. That's super <laughs> creepy. So then you ask them how you can help them. The older child responds again. We want to come in. Let us in. It'll only take a minute. What will take a minute, you think to yourself? Did they tell you something while you were in your short panic? You ask the question out loud to the children. What will take a minute? The younger one speaks up this time. And in the same monotone, emotionless voice as the older one says, just let us in. We want to come in. You say no. There's something about them that's just not sitting right. But they're children. So a part of you wants to help. So you ask them why they're on your doorstep. You ask if there's anyone you can call for them. You ask their names, where they live. The only response you get from either of them in return is a request to enter your home and promises that it won't take long, whatever it is. This is giving very vampire vibes. Yes. Very much like they can't come in unless you invite them in. Mm -hmm. The timer on your stove goes off and you turn to look in the kitchen just for a split second. When you redirect your attention to the children on the doorstep, you find that they've disappeared. Your terror seems to have diminished with their disappearance, but your anxiety is still on high alert. You peek around the house, you look in the bushes, you search up and down the street, but find no signs of the children. That was weird, you say to yourself as you re-enter your house. You head to the kitchen and finish preparing dinner. So that's my story. (laughs) Do they always come in pairs? Yes. They do. Okay. It's one of those where, like, when you make up a story, and this is totally, like, the analytical writer-y side of my brain, is, like, which of these details is, like, significant, Mm -hmm. and which is just kind of for the mood. So I had to ask. Yes. I think hopefully the rest of my episode will explain, like, what was... I'm so excited. What was necessary, and what was just, like, mood setting. But anyway, so this sounds like a campfire story that someone would tell their friends while drinking beer and roasting marshmallows. 100%. Uh, Maybe it's a cautionary tale about answering the door to strangers. Maybe even a story meant to be a social commentary on how children bring out our vulnerabilities. That's a hard word. Vulnerabilities? Yes, that one. (laughs) I don't know why I can't say that. That's all right. We all have those (laughs) words. I definitely have a few of them. But these would all be plausible, but they're inaccurate. It's actually a basic retelling of the stories that involve encounters with mysterious black-eyed children. So, like, most of the stories are kind of, like, follow that pattern. Okay. So the black-eyed children have stories dating back at least to the 1950s. That's actually, like, more modern than I would have thought. It is. It's a very modern thing. The older stories are harder to track down. Most of the ones are more, like, internet-aged stories. Okay. Uh, Uh, We're going to be talking about an internet-aged kind of folklore in an upcoming episode this season, too. I think modern folklore is kind of cool. It is. I'm excited about that. The children are usually described as being between the ages of 6 and 16, and they're frequently spotted in pairs. They are usually described as wearing hoodies and dark pants or older-fashioned handmade clothes. There's not really an (laughs) in-between. Okay, so there's kind of like street smart kid or like when you talk about handmade clothes are we talking like 
colonial times children or like there was one story i read and it was from like the 50s i think it was a sighting in the 50s and they described the person as wearing like older fashion handmade clothes so whatever that meant in the 50s all right so maybe like turn of the century type okay i've got an idea in my head i I don't know if it's the right idea but (laughs) i've got an idea in my head they always knock on like someone's door or a car window at or after dusk and they are never seen in the daylight. It's always like when the sun is setting or has set. They always speak in a monotone and emotionless voice. The witnesses are struck with panic as soon as they engage with the children. And many report a feeling of wanting to run, but they can't make their body do what their brain is asking. It's like they're frozen. Interesting. And the children are always reported as asking if they can enter the witness's home or car, almost as if they can't enter without permission. Mm. So they're described as pushy about entering the property. Most reports also contain a brief period of the children stating that it won't take long or it will be over shortly if they're allowed inside. Nothing really describes what it is. (laughs) We don't know what it is, but it'll be short. (laughs) It'll be over soon. It won't take long. Yeah, somebody telling me something will be over soon is just like, no, no, thank you. Most reports involve the witnesses being momentarily distracted by a sound or something moving in their periphery. And when they return their attention to the kids, they seem to have disappeared without a trace. Like they they always go looking for them and they can't find them anywhere. I'm not going to lie. When you got to that part in the story, I thought they're like the kids were going to be in the house. No, no. I thought it was going to be like I turned around and the next thing (laughs) I knew, I no longer had to invite them. They were already here. No, they just poof. They go poof. Interesting. Many sightings also include a strong smell of rotten eggs or something described as sickeningly sweet, either with the children or just after they disappear. People will smell these things. And however, the feature of every story that the witnesses all say will haunt them forever is the solid black eyes of the children. Which is super creepy. Like, no doubt about it. I was just thinking about it. Well, it's one of those where, like, I feel like as someone who listened to, like, metal music for a while, I feel like there are some performers that are really into, like, the, like, the blackout eye kind of look. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that, too. To me, it's, like, less weird thinking about an adult doing it for, like, a stage presence as opposed to, like, here's a little kid. Like, that seems terrifying. Right. And that's, like, where my next paragraph is taking us. So I wanted to take a minute to discuss some eye stuff, which, sorry, mom, I know that eye things are weird to you. Mm, My husband is bothered (laughs) by eye things as well. So, I mean, just skip it if you don't want to listen to eye things. So I know that there's medical conditions that cause, like, pupils to remain dilated or the whites of people's eyes to become discolored, but there's no medical condition that would cause the pupil to expand over the entire, like, visible eye. And the sclera, which is the white portion of your eye, when they're discolored, it's never like dark. It's usually something like jaundicey, like they'll get like yellowy or like bloodshot. Yeah, right. So it would never be like black. There's also cosmetic contacts available to make the whole eye, including the whites of the eye, a different color. These were like a newer product in the mid '90s, and they could possibly explain some of the more modern sightings, but they would have cost like a small fortune at the time because they were still so new. So I don't really think that tweens or teens were really able to afford them, especially yeah. for like a prank. Like if they're going to go do this as a prank. 
Plus, from what I understand, at least like the first couple of generations of these like blackout contacts were super uncomfortable. They were so uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah, I can't see a child being that dedicated to their prank that they're like, let me put these uncomfortable things in my eyes that cost $300 to stand on someone's door for five minutes. Right. I mean, it's hard enough getting eye drops in a kid's eye, let alone like, let's oh put these. My little one just had pink eye. He actually did so good with the eye drops. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like most kids really hate them. My oldest hated it when he had pink eye. Like we had to hold him down and like, but no, the little one, like we were just like, okay, guys, do eye drops. He's like, okay. Weird. It, he's weird. I don't. I don't know what he came <laughs> from. I love him, but he's. I don't know. <laughs> he's on another level. Anyway, back to the story. So I also know that there's people that will tattoo the whites of their eyes for like aesthetic purposes, Ugh. which like. I mean, good for them if that's what they think is cool. But I can, like I can't even imagine that. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. 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 It's an extremely risky procedure, as I'm sure you can imagine, and only specially trained tattoo artists are able to perform it. They're also unable to perform it on minors because it's illegal. I mean, tattooing minors is not legal anyway, but yeah. So I find it hard to believe that like a, a tattoo artist, especially one that went through all of the It had to training, go through like a specialized thing, yeah. Would risk their like career and livelihood on like putting ink in a child's eyeball. So like I don't really think that's a possibility. Yeah, no, I think that one's off the table. I mean, if anyone knows a tattoo artist that has tattooed a child's eyeballs black... I would love to hear about it, but I don't I, think I'm not sure I would. <laughs> I don't actually. I don't think I want to hear about it. But it, tell me if I'm wrong. I want to know if I'm wrong. Basically, is where I was going with that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to hear about that. I'm pretty sure the person who did it doesn't want people telling that story either. Probably. That's fair. So back to it. So where did this legend? I guess it's a legend. Where I think it, it kind from? of falls into like the urban legend yeah. category. I am excited to hear where it came from, though. I have lots of questions. Okay. I like questions. I might not have all the answers. That's all right. So as I said before, there are stories dating back to at least the 1950s. But the sightings of the black-eyed children kind of blew up as a phenomenon when Brian Bethel posted his sighting online. Okay, so that's got to be more recent if it's something posted online. It is, yeah. It's like it's the '90s. It was like the early internet. Okay, uh, back so... in the Angel Fire GeoCities days. <laughs> so Brian was and still is a writer for the Abilene Reporter News out of Abilene, Texas. So one night in 1996, he was sitting in his car in a plaza. He was using the light that was cast from a nearby movie theater marquee to fill out a check that he had to deposit in the after hours payment box of like one of the businesses in the plaza. Okay. So he's filling out his check and suddenly there's a knock at his window and he looks up to find two boys about nine to 12 years old. He described one as the spokesperson and the other as the silent accomplice. He rolled his window down for any younger people that's a thing that we had to do with a crank i was like children know what rolling the window down is and then i was like oh you're talking like he like literally like rolled the window window down yeah yep so he literally rolled his window down sorry i don't know why i felt that it was important to to note that so he rolled his window down he asked if he could help the boys the spokesperson asked if they could have a ride back home they wanted to see the mortal Kombat movie but they had left their money at home So being close to the marquee, because remember, he was using it for light to write his checkout, he could see that the last showing of Mortal Kombat had already begun and determined that if he were to give them a ride to go get the money, by the time they got back, 
the movie would be like almost over. Makes sense. So like that's weird. <laughs> so that's when that overwhelming fear hit him like, when he realized that. And the boy acting as the spokesperson kept telling Brian, it won't take long. Please just let us in. He tried appealing to Brian by saying, we're just little kids. We don't have a gun or anything. Which is like Which super is ominous. Yeah. Brian realized at this time that he'd been touching like the door's lock the whole time he was like talking to the kids. Like he had somehow his hand drifted over there without him realizing it. Like subconsciously, he's like, this is not a good situation. Yeah. Then at that same time, when he realized his hand was on the lock, he also noticed that they were both staring at him with like black eyes, like black eyed children. Okay. He decided he needed to leave and he needed to leave fast. So he began rolling up his window as he moved the gear shift for the car into reverse. And he was closing the window quickly. He was apologizing to the boys and like backing up all at the same time, like rolling the window up, backing okay. up and saying, sorry, can't help you. So suddenly the spokesboy started banging on the window that he was okay. rolling up while he was backing up and apologizing and yelled at Brian, we just want to come in. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. So Brian continued to back up and threw the car and drive and just like went home. I don't know if he ever paid his bill. I don't think he did. I think he just went home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he could drop it off the next day. Right. Just explain. Sorry, there were some black eyed children at my car and I did not feel comfortable getting out and dropping this check off. <laughs> so was he a writer for, was it a newspaper mm -hmm. or was that before this happened? Like this feels like a weird coincidence that this happened to happen to a writer, not somebody they had to mm -hmm. interview. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was a writer at the time. He's still a writer for the same mag or for the same newspaper. You can find like his articles on the yeah. The Abilene I mean, I'm not website. saying he made it up. I just think it's kind of like an interesting. It kind of reminds me of the UFO Exeter incident, where like the, the cops police. were actually seeing yeah. it happen. It, like to me, it's kind of always. I think things hold a little bit of different weight when like. It's secondhand information versus firsthand information. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I'm not saying he made it up either, but I did think that that was interesting as well. So anyway, as he pulled out of the lot, he looked in his rearview mirror and found that the boys had vanished. They were nowhere. All right. Feels in line with what we know about them. Mm -hmm. He looked around like kind of in the rearview mirror and like around the sides and there was not really anywhere they could have hidden like there was no like bushes to hide behind or anything like that it was like, what about other cars in the parking lot i mean i'm sure that there were probably other cars in the parking lot but but it seemed unlikely but to it him. seemed unlikely to him because I, I think i don't think he was parked like super close i don't know he said there was like a specific line where he recalls there was nowhere they could have ran and hid in the time it took him to pull to where he was when he looked in the mirror okay so it was like a quick thing so in his self-authored 2013 article for the Abilene Reporter, so he, this happened in 1996. He actually didn't write an article about it for the paper until 2013. Um, so he sat on it for a, a while. Which is a big gap, yeah. Yeah, it's like almost 20 years. No, 10, 20. Yes, almost 20 years. Yes, not quite, but yeah. <laughs> I can't math. <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't say anything because I was trying to math in my own head. Yeah, 17, <laughs> 17 years. Yes. So in his article, he found that writing a detailed account of what happened helped him to process it. And he also found it sort of cathartic. So when he got home in 1996, after this incident, he wrote an email to some of his friends in an email chain, pretty much for their input and just to kind of write down what happened so he could like 
okay get it out yeah I guess. so anyway like you were saying before like and i was saying like we were saying both of us it's interesting that you know he was an author i also think it's interesting that he waited you know 17 years to even write something about it yeah that is kind of i, I would be interested to know why yeah, I'm more inclined. I know that you're more of a skeptic and you'll probably have a different view on this, <laughs> but I'm more inclined to believe him because his career didn't really seem to like flourish after this. Like he's still he like he's a senior writer at the paper. It's not like he's working for, you know, today or something. So I had actually had almost like maybe this the opposite side of the same coin as of a thought like i'm wondering if when it happened to him, he was such a new writer potentially at the paper that he was like I don't really have the clout or like the pull to kind of put in this piece that's not really a news article, but it's just kind of an interesting story to tell people. Mm. And then maybe 15 or whatever years later, he's got a bit more of a a position where he can say, let me write this like op-ed or whatever, Mm -hmm. based on this experience I had. Yeah. That's true. It also didn't really seem to like spread outside of Abilene. Like it wasn't in, you know, he didn't, get like a job offer with the New York Times or like nobody from it wasn't like this was like the story that broke his career like broke his career in a good way like broke him out right yeah no I get what you're saying so So, I don't know I think it's interesting the whole thing is just interesting this whole thing is interesting so have there been more sightings reported before or after this it seems like that's maybe one of the bigger ones but there have so when Brian Bethel ended up posting his story online other people started reaching out to him and they were like hey I had this same really weird experience like that's so strange and then they would like compare and contrast in the same area is this like a nationwide thing it seems to be like a global thing oh global that's even bigger than I was thinking which is which is what I'm getting to next I had a feeling I was helping you segue. Thanks. This is how it spreads out across, like, the world. So pretty much for all the research I did, I used a book written by David Weatherly called The Black-Eyed Children. And in the book, he mentions that they could somehow be related to China's tales of the hungry ghost or other, like, regional mythical creatures. So the stories about the hungry ghost involve evil beings with solid black or red eyes, He recounts a story from when he was traveling in China. There was a village supposedly being terrorized by the spirit of a young girl. The villagers believed that she was angry and brought tragedy upon those who came across her. They didn't know her identity or her background, but those that saw her said that she was about 14 to 16. She wore a long white dress and would walk the village streets barefoot late at night. Her hair was long and black and her skin was extremely pale. Which is another thing I don't know if I mentioned, but the black-eyed children usually have very pale skin. Like pale to the point where you might be concerned about whether or not they have blood flow? I mean, it wasn't like described vampire like vampire babies? Possibly. Could okay. vampire babies. <laughs> <laughs> and this girl in the story that David had heard while he was traveling China, she was also described as having solid black eyes. Okay. He also mentions that the Chinese story has many similarities to the Japanese tale of Onryo. I think I pronounced that correctly. I did look it up and I gave myself a a phonetic. (laughs) I do the same thing. (laughs) So I think that was right. If I was wrong, I'm sorry. But he said that it has many similarities to Japanese tales of Onryo and many other tales of evil or vengeful spirits from Asian cultures. Okay. So that possibly could be something from an Asian culture that kind of 
got modernized into America and you know things changed obviously because it's a different country with different yeah. culture and so I'm wondering I don't know how much Doctor Who you've watched in your life if any not any at all there is an episode of Doctor Who I think it's called The Empty Child or The Empty Children and it kind of reminds me a little bit of this as well. Like, they weren't kids with all black eyes, but they were, like, these creepy kids that would mm-hmm. show up at your door. And they were, like, wearing gas masks because it happens during, like, a world war. Okay. And he's looking for his mother. But, like, it feels like the same kind of, like, a kid comes up and rings your doorbell. And, like, you're like, what is going on? And there's just, like, this creepy kid constantly, like, asking the same questions over oh, and over again. Interesting. I wonder if the... I wonder if it's kind of a spinoff of it or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But no, that's interesting. I haven't seen that. Is Doctor Who good? I love Doctor Who. I'm like Who. on the fence. It's like, like an investment if you start with like the new series. So I've never seen like the old Doctor Who's. Mm-hmm. But if you start with the ones that came out in like 2010, there's like 13 seasons of it and they're long seasons. So it's kind of an investment. But honestly, I've found a lot of joy in watching Doctor Who. <laughs> I might have to add that to my list. Because I've always like looked at it and been like, oh, maybe I'll like that. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I'll have to give you some episode recommendations after this. There are are some, they like... For the most part, they kind of stand alone. Oh, okay. There are some that are definitely, like I would say, watch them. And if you like them, watch more. And if you don't, you probably won't like the rest of the show. So. Okay. Cool. I'm excited. That was a side note. But that's side all right. Note. Anyway, <laughs> back to Black Eyed Children. So now that we kind of got like the history and like where it possibly maybe came from out of the way, let's talk about some theories. Okay, cool. Those are cool. my favorite. So let's start with the spirit theory. Pretty much, could the black-eyed children be some evil or vengeful spirit, similar to the ones that the Asian cultures have like warned about? Possibly. I'm not a historian or a theologist by like any means at all. So if I get any of the following information wrong, please feel free to let me know. I would love to correct it if it is incorrect. So in Chinese culture specifically, there's a hungry ghost festival that happens annually during the full moon in the seventh month of the Chinese year. Ooh, okay. Yep. The story goes that this is the time when the gates of hell are open, allowing the spirits to roam the earth. These wandering type spirits are looking for anything to fulfill their desires. So like food, entertainment, vengeance. Just anything that they could possibly want. Um, Okay. I kind of dig this. This sounds kind of cool, actually. (laughs) Families will pray for the spirits of their deceased relatives during this time in hopes that they don't turn into a hungry ghost. Obviously, they want their relatives to be happy ghosts, not hungry. This Um, kind of has... Have you ever seen... Like, so many TV shows I'm referencing (laughs) today or movies. Have you ever seen Spirited Away? No. This reminds me of a scene in Spirited Away where there's like this parade of souls like walking mm-hmm. into this building and it reminds me of Coco the movie Coco oh, I haven't seen that one it's a kids movie <laughs> I knew that I haven't <laughs> seen it though um, but no I thought of Coco when I was writing this which is also my cat's name so that's weird I did not think of my cat I thought of the movie <laughs> as everyone would assume <laughs> <laughs> anyway So these families that are praying for like their relatives will also uh, honor the quote unquote homeless spirits, which are those that don't have living family members to pray for them. The Chinese people believe that the misfortune will fall upon them if they do not honor the homeless or hungry ghosts along with their relatives. Okay. So So it's like we've got our relatives, but we need to take care of the other ones as well. Exactly. Because we don't want any hungry ghosts from hell walking around on the full moon in the seventh month. 
of the Chinese. I mean, I can get that. That makes sense to me. I, I would not her. want that either. Next up, we are going to talk about the Jin. The Jin are similar to like the Asian hungry ghosts, but they're from the Middle East and they're related to the Muslim religion, as far as I understand. Okay. Not a historian or a theologist. <laughs> so the Quran discusses the jinn as human-like creatures living in a parallel world, but they seem to have the ability to cross into our world. According to the Quran, like humans, the jinn were created by Allah and given the choice to be good or evil via free will. Okay. So unlike humans, though, humans were created by Allah from clay. The jinn were created from a smokeless flame or a torching or a scorching fire. Oh, interesting. Okay. We are created from different elements. The jinn also differ from humans in the sense that their life expectancy is far more than ours. They can live like a thousand to fifteen hundred years, whereas humans are 80s ish. I don't know the exact life expectancy for humans, but I'm assuming it's somewhere around 80. They possess powers that we could only dream of. They can travel expansive distances in seconds. So I'm thinking like the Flash. (laughs) So I kind of, and this might be like an ignorant take for just not having a ton of knowledge on it. I'd always imagined that the djinn were similar to genies. Okay. I didn't actually know anything about the djinn until this. Like I had heard the name, but I didn't really know anything about them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I didn't know what I was I expecting. don't know a ton about them myself either. So I was not expecting them to be related to the Muslim religion, though. Okay. I didn't think that they were related to that, but apparently they are. Cool. Anyway, so they can also shapeshift into anything. Living beings, plants, inanimate objects. Oh, wow. Okay. The picture hanging on the wall over there. (laughs) Like, they can just shapeshift. So are, like, the evil djinn taking form of, like, black-eyed children and trying to... Hmm. I wonder what the motivation... Not. I mean, I don't know if a djinn would have a motivation, I guess. But I would be curious what, like, the motivation would be to, like, take the form of a child. Probably because people are more vulnerable. You went to go say that word again. <laughs> More vulnerable to children. Um, maybe. Maybe. I just watch too many creepy kid movies. I'm I like, I don't know. Thank you. I'm like, I would be more likely to help a child than an adult standing on the side of the road. So I guess. But like, why the black eyes? Yeah, I don't know. It's creepy. I don't know. Maybe uh, it has something to do with eyes and windows to the soul. and Possibly, but I think... I'm totally just making that up. <laughs> one of my other like theories um, talks about like the eyes and why they would be black. Oh, cool. Um, but it's not specifically related to Jen. It's related to something else. Okay. Which I think is the theory that I'm getting to now. So the black-eyed children have also been explained as like changelings, tricksters, vampires, devils, and demons, among other things. So kind of changelings and vampires were the first inkling I had gotten mm-hmm. when you started talking about them. Yes, because they have to be invited in was, like, the big thing for me. Yeah. Well, and changelings are usually children, and, like... I don't know much about changelings, but I do know vampires. (laughs) Not the sparkly kind. Not the sparkly kind. (laughs) Most of my vampire knowledge comes from Salem's Lot, so... Fair. So I find, like, the vampire devil demon thing very interesting. There's a belief that these types of creatures cannot enter a private residence without an invitation, which seems to be a big thing amongst the children. This would explain the children's insistence on being allowed into the home or the vehicle. 
These creatures also usually associated with evil deeds and connotations. Solid black eyes are associated with evil entities and creatures. Makes sense. Vampires and demons are also frequently associated with the smell of sulfur and decay, like rotten eggs or something sickeningly sweet. Okay. I don't think that I've ever smelled something dead, but I know that some people will refer to it as sickeningly sweet. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I've never smelled anything dead either. I'm also wondering, because now I'm bringing this back to every pop culture (laughs) reference, like, ever. I meant to lend it to you, and I still should. I'm wondering if this was maybe uh, something along the lines of an inspiration that Joe Hill had drawn on for Nosferatu. It's on my list of things to read. I want to read it. Yeah, that's a good one. And it has creepy children, too. I love it. That I wonder if they kind of fall into a similar vein as these black-eyed children. Hmm. I would be interested to see after I read it. Also, Spongebob has an episode about Nosferatu. All right. I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't watch much Spongebob, but that feels like a thing. My four-year-old loves that episode. <laughs> of course he does. He's <laughs> got the creepy vampire. And everything. So uh, anyway, back to demons. <laughs> so demons are also said to only be able to shapeshift if they keep one part of their body in its original state, like a hoof for a foot or a talon for a hand. Or they're solid black eye. eyes. <laughs> I saw where you were going with that. <laughs> yep. Uh, witnesses are frequently unable to remember the details about the children, like other than the pale skin, the eyes, and like what they're wearing. They don't really look at, you know, their hands or their feet or like anything else. Okay. So maybe these solid black eyes are the demon's, you know, connection to their original form. I could see that being a thing. I could too. These creatures are also associated with evil and are known to invoke like a fear in people and something like a hypnotization among them. Interesting. So that could explain like the sudden irrational fear of the children or the inability to like run when your brain is telling you like, please leave, get away. (laughs) It's scary. So I thought that one was interesting. I like that one. But I think from like a from like a literary or like media standpoint, that's like the funnest explanation for them. It is. But my favorite... Ooh, I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) I have to save my favorite for last, is aliens. (laughs) Of course it's aliens. Of course it's aliens. I should have guessed. It's Jess's favorite. It's probably aliens. Also, did you see on the CNN? Was it CNN? I don't know. It was the... um, The thing where the government confirmed they're aliens? Yes. Yes. Did you see that? I was so excited about that. (laughs) I had a feeling you would, and I thought about sending you an article. I was like, I know she's already seen it. She's already read it. I feel like she's got, like, just search terms for aliens, like, pinged on (laughs) Google, and something pops up, and you're just, like, in the know. No, I was at work that day, and it was, like, kind of a slow day, so some of the girls were, like, watching TikToks about it, like, as they were posting things Uh, on TikTok. okay. Yeah, we were all just sitting there in, like, a huddle talking about aliens for most of the day. You must have been in your glory. I was. It was great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, anyone that watches the show Resident Alien, which I think I've referenced before. You have. Um, if you don't watch it, you should because it's funny and I love it. I don't know if everyone will love it. It's kind of, it's for a special kind of person. <laughs> anyway, if you watch Resident Alien, you know that the universe is populated by many different alien species, which I mean is a logical thing because like there are many different species of things on earth 
So like, why would there only be one type of alien in the universe? Makes sense. Okay. I'm glad that I'm not just, I'm reaching in my head. I mean, I don't know how I feel about aliens, but uh, your logic is sound. (laughs) So that's all I care about. As long as the logic is there, it doesn't have to make any sense past that. So anyway, the grays are like the ones that we think of with like the the like humanoid, big eyes, big head kind of. I was going to draw it in the air and be like, shaped like that. Yes, shaped um, like that. <laughs> but um, kind of like the, the stereotypical Yeah, alien. like the little like mouth line, the big black eyes, the yeah. little short gray thin. Pointy chin, big head. Yeah. yeah. That one. So those are, you know, obviously the ones that we think about when we think about aliens. So they have tiny slits for mouths, like the big bulbous head, the thin neck, very large, solid black eyes. Some people that go with the alien theory think that the black-eyed children are a result of like the greys abducting humans and using their DNA to experiment with creating a human-alien hybrid. Oh. Which. That was not entirely where I thought you were going to go with that. Okay. <laughs> where did you think I was going to go? I'm curious. Um, well, I thought it was like them inhabiting like, like, <laughs> I don't even <laughs> believe in aliens, but I thought. But I thought where you were going was something like they had abducted children, done research on children. So if they wanted to come back and look more human to fit in because they had children, they would make themselves look like children. Oh, okay. So kind of the same idea. Kind of. But yeah, so some people think that they are hybrids. Okay. Most abduction stories involve that involve the greys have the abductees reporting being subjected to tests and specimen collections. Yeah, we talked about that in both of our previous UFO episodes. Mm -hmm. And some report even being, like, impregnated or, like, some pregnant abductees will return to Earth, like, not pregnant. So, like, what are they doing with these fetuses that they are taking? And what are they doing with the samples and everything else? Science. Science. So obviously they're using them for some kind of research, but like, what are they researching? Yeah. So like, are we just like the mice to their scientists? Are we mice? I mean, in my head we were. I was like, they're obviously smarter than us if they've got interplanetary travel down. So probably. We're probably probably just their equivalent of lab rats if they exist. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, also, why would they want to create hybrids and infiltrate our society? See, those are like the bigger (laughs) questions I have. Like, maybe... There are life forms in other galaxies. I can't count that out. We're here. The why wouldn't there be something somewhere else? I just don't think they care about us. Right. Like, why are we special? Like, are they visiting other planets? I think we think we're special because we're humans. That's fair. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that one was really interesting. Is that they're hybrids and... You know, with all the other theories, it's plausible, I guess. Yeah. So have there been other, like, recorded (laughs) sightings? Or is this, other than, like, that one newspaper article, is this mostly, No, so there's been a bunch of, like, um, uh, what's, like, oral tradition and kind of campfire stories? So there's that. But it's also, there's a bunch of, like, recorded stories that David Weatherly found. They're, they're, like, all the ones that he found are in his book. And he, like, interviewed some of the people for the stories. Um, So there are, like, other people that kind of, not to discredit the writer from Abilene, but I guess to me, 
as much as a firsthand account feels more believable or more realistic than like a hearsay mm-hmm. to have other people involved feels more realistic as well. Yeah. So like after Brian Bethel, po- like after his story went, I guess the original version of viral, uh, <laughs> 90s, <laughs> viral. 90s viral. So um, everybody got it in a chain message. Yeah. Uh, people started like reaching out to him and they were like, Hey, I had this weird experience. And um, one of the ones that he talks about in a lot of his book is I think if I remember correctly it was a friend of a friend who wanted to like remain anonymous okay um, because he is a logical human that can't wrap his head around it but he had an encounter with the black-eyed children and he was just like I thought that I was going crazy because I don't believe in that stuff so he came forward because like there was somebody kind of reaffirming his situation yeah was his in his home or his car do we know this one was his home. They knocked on his door. Most of them are the door. There were a couple stories in there that I read that someone was like knocking on the window. Like there was one that was just one little boy on like a dirt road with a guy in his truck and he like pulled over because he had to use the bathroom. It was like the middle of the night. Yeah. So he pulled over to like use the side of the road as the bathroom. And when he got back in his, actually, no, before he got back in his truck, the little boy started like talking to him. Like he appeared out of nowhere and. Ooh, ooh that's creepy um so if you want to read like more of the stories i would recommend his book it's called the black-eyed children it had a lot of really good stories in there but i didn't want to just focus on like the stories of people because there was like so much more that was interesting about yeah. it than just the stories yeah i was just curious you know what i mean because you want to like whenever something comes up you kind of want to hear that other people had the same experience yeah so. yeah so they have a bunch of them and there was like a story from the 50s that was in there yeah, there were a lot of pretty interesting stories. Cool. So yeah, there's been a, there's been a few. I mean, not like a few, but like enough to fill a book. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, anyone that wants like more information on the Black Eyed Children or like any of the theories, because I I didn't go like super into detail in all the theories. He has like chapters upon chapters of theories in the book. You should go read it. I thought it was really good. So I have a big question. Okay. Where did you first hear about the Black Eyed Children? Because I had never heard about them. I don't remember where I first heard about it, actually. Was it on another podcast? <laughs> it might have been on another podcast. Okay, like, like it's one of those where, like, there are some urban legends that I've heard of just from kind of existing mm-hmm. and being on the internet and being a person who reads a lot. And this was one I had never come across, so I really was kind of fascinated by, like, where this came from. I think I heard it in another podcast, and I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Cool. I need to know more about this. All right. So I went and I bought the book. Cool. Yep. It was fun. But that's all I have on Black Eyed Children. So I don't know. Are they aliens? Are they djinn? Are they demons (laughs) or vampires? Yeah, I would be interested for somebody to explore this deeper. I think there's some cool, at least from like, I don't want to say from a fictional standpoint, if, if it's real, but... From, like, a storytelling standpoint, I think there's a lot of cool theories behind this. And I think a lot of cool things to be explored. Yeah. No, it was. It was really fun to research. Nice. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. So thank you for coming back for season three. Anybody yes. that has made it through this episode, because apparently I forgot how recording works. <laughs> I think you did fine. But thank you, everybody, for coming back for season three. I think... 
we've got some really great stuff in store and I am so excited for us to jump into some of the things that we have coming up this season. I am so excited for my December episode. We are so far away from (laughs) December right now. We're like, we've just started spooky season. Listen, I've, I've been waiting for the perfect time to do my December one and it falls perfectly this year and I'm excited about it. I will say for anyone who has listened to our all over the place episodes the last two seasons, we are trying to get a bit more organized and kind of a bit more thematic this season. So I think we're in for a good time. I think we've got some good stuff on the horizon. Yeah. All right. Well, if that is it for today, I guess let's sign off. Now that we are back into season three and not with our mini myths, we will be back every Tuesday with new spooky, wonderful episodes to chat with all of you guys about. Bye.